A source says that the White House is done, quote, playing nice with Democrats. So the past three years, they were being polite. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, new details on the scramble inside the White House right after the president pushed the leader of Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden. As CNN learns that impeachment could go far beyond just the Ukraine scandal. A new twist. Trump allies in Congress now want a vote on the impeachment inquiry in the House, and Speaker Pelosi does not. Why? Plus, the Supreme Court debating the meaning of sex in a critical case for LGBTQ rights and a justice that President Trump appointed could potentially be the swing vote. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with the politics lead. Today, House Democrats are saying they will issue a subpoena against a key witness in the Ukraine scandal for documents and his testimony after the White House today blocked him from testifying on Capitol Hill as Democrats probe details concerning President Trump using the power of his office to push a foreign country to conduct investigations to help him politically. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called the president blocking this key witness a, quote, abuse of power. That key witness is U.S. Ambassador to the European Union and major Trump donor, Gordon Sondland. Republican Senator Ron Johnson told the Wall Street Journal that Sondland told him that U.S. military aid to Ukraine was tied to Ukraine, agreeing to, quote, get to the bottom of what happened in 2016. That's Trump speak for a push to undermine the Mueller investigation and the larger conclusion by U.S. intelligence that Russia interfered in the election to help President Trump. That conversation, on top of the recently released text messages, linking U.S. aid to Ukraine to Ukraine investigating the Bidens. The top diplomat in Ukraine, Bill Taylor, wrote to Sondland, quote, As I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign, unquote. Sondland waited about five hours and then replied, quote, Bill, I believe you are incorrect about President Trump's intentions. The president has been crystal clear, no quid pro quos of any kind. A source now tells CNN that during that time gap, Sondland phoned President Trump himself. Now, the president has said publicly that the Ukraine conversation was, quote, perfect, that there's nothing wrong with what he's done, that there was no quid pro quo. That's what he says. Now, what he and the White House have done, well, that's a different matter. They hid the rough transcript of the call with the president of Ukraine in a hyper-secure computer system. They tried to keep it from Congress after the whistleblower went to the inspector general. They are attacking the whistleblower. And now, as of today, they're blocking witnesses. We'll leave it to you to judge if that's how officials with nothing to hide behave. CNN's Caitlin Collins picks up our coverage now with new reporting on how the White House immediately tried to bury that Ukraine call to keep it from the American people. Today, the White House intervened for the first time to stop a key witness from cooperating with Democrats' impeachment inquiry, blocking top diplomat Gordon Sunland from showing up for his deposition only hours before it was scheduled to take place. By preventing us from hearing from this witness and obtaining these documents, the president and secretary of state are taking actions that prevent us from getting the facts needed to protect the nation's security. President Trump said he stopped it because the inquiry is illegitimate, calling it a totally compromised kangaroo court. His allies signaling this could be a broader strategy to stonewall, with one saying the days of playing nice are done. When you have a 
Speaker of the House who says we need to strike while the iron's hot, when you have a chairman of the committee who is so biased against this president. The fight coming as CNN is learning more about the call that started it all. Sources say as soon as Trump hung up with Ukraine's president in late July, a mad scramble began inside the administration. At least one National Security Council official alerted the White House's national security lawyers that there were concerns about what Trump said. Those are the same lawyers who later ordered the transcript moved to a more secure server in order to limit those who could see it. Several aides frantically asked if they should notify other senior officials who weren't on the call, like those at the Justice Department, since Trump had invoked the attorney general's name several times. The focus now turning to those who listened in during the call, including the secretary of state, top national security officials and aides for the vice president and chief of staff. Democrats say despite White House efforts to stonewall, they'll continue their investigation of whether Trump abused the power of his office. Through this impeachment inquiry, we are determined to find the answers. Thank you. Now, Jake, we're also learning that the White House has reached out to outside attorneys to get counsel on impeachment. One of those, according to what a source told my colleague Pam Brown, is a former congressman from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. Now, that follows CNN reporting that the president had been initially resistant to the idea of forming an impeachment defense team or bringing in new attorneys, believing that doing either would make him look weak. Hmm. All right. Caitlin Collins at the White House, thank you so much. Let's chew over all of this with my experts. Amanda, I'm interested in your, in your um, opinion on this. To me, just having covered enough of these things, Taylor's texts in which he says, just as I said on the phone call, you know, blah, 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 I don't approve of this is what he's mm-hmm. saying, read like somebody trying to establish a paper trail. Yes. And Sondland's text, which came five hours later or so, to me, read like somebody who just talked to a lawyer and said, what should I write back? Yeah. Do you agree? I mean, is that yeah, your Yeah, I agree. And that's why I wonder why the House isn't going after Bill Taylor more. I mean, he is the key to this. He is the guy who clearly saw something was going wrong and tried to document it. And maybe they're trying to work something out behind the scenes, but this sort of goose chase to try to get Sunderland and try to get the president's lackneys, I don't understand that. Talk to people who want to talk. Talk to people who are trying to document this rather than trying to go after hostile witnesses and building up a case about obstruction. I'm sure that I mean, I don't know, yeah, but I, yeah, I'm sure they're going after yeah. Taylor, too. Uh, Phil, I want to get your take on this. How does this read to you? Ta- read to you? Taylor says, quote, this is a text message on WhatsApp. Uh, are we now saying that security assistants in the White House meeting are conditioned on investigations, which is basically a quid pro quo? Well, Sondland writes back, call me. What does that mean to you? Call me. I mean, I only spent 25 years in government. I mean, just only. But this you is just called him. This is this is pretty simple. You're 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 correct. This is called record copy. That is the the appointed official. That is the non-Trump official. The ambassador is saying, I want it on the record what we're doing here, because phone conversations are going to be he said, she said, if it ever goes public. The individual on the other end of the line, in this case, text messaging is saying, I don't want that on the record. Call me because a phone call is going to be it's months ago. Nobody. Both of them are trying to, as you suggested, it's not what you think, Jake. This is a fact. It's what you suggested. They both want a record copy. Each of them, the career guy wants a record copy saying the president just screwed us. The political guy wants a record copy that says that never happened. And and how is the White House preparing for this other than 
mean tweets and just having, you know, their minions in Congress well, go know, out there and lie. It, it is very telling that even though Sondland's testimony has been scheduled for many days now, the decision to pull his testimony only came last night. They are making a lot of these decisions on the fly, responding in large part to what the president wants. The president himself made it clear that he was the one who was not comfortable with Sondland testifying. Here's why all of this previous conversation we were just having and and that question are related. Sondland is the person who was communicating directly with President Trump Mm. about all of this, all of it. So Bill Taylor knows what he thinks was going on. Sondland knows what was actually going on because he was communicating with the principal about it. That's what makes him such an important witness. It's also what makes uh, the White House and the president nervous about him getting in a setting where he's testifying under oath and cannot lie to Congress without risking, uh, without risking, uh, you know, potential jail time. And let's talk about uh, Sondland for one second. Mm-hmm. OK, he's a he's a very, very wealthy hotel guy. He was a Jeb Bush backer, then gave a million dollars to President Trump's inaugural committee, got in on that way. Now, He is the U.S. ambassador to the European Union. Now, I'm no expert on international affairs, but last I checked, Ukraine is not in the European Union. So what is he doing here in your view? Well, I think he's trying to execute the orders of the boss man. And that's the challenge with political appointees often versus a civil service or career officials who are dedicated to the cause rather than to the person. The entire State Department right now has been rattled, not just by this incident, but previous IG reports from even this past summer about how political appointees have been calling holdovers traitors and then questioning their loyalty to Donald Trump. And it underscores how important it is to have a service that is dedicated to a American values and the Constitution, that's ultimately what's being tested here with this. Unfortunately, the the Trump administration seems to be hanging their hat on this idea that they argued in court today that uh, the Nixon impeachment process was improper. And that's your argument, that Nixon was railroaded. Mm -hmm. When when you've gone that far down the line, it shows that you are far more interested in obstructing justice than you are in telling the truth. Oh, Geraldo Rivera told Sean Hannity the other day, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, thank God for you. If you'd been around during Nixon, he never would have been impeached. You know, this to me is kind of painful as a former government guy. When new people come into town, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, people like me were viewed as suspect. It's like two dogs at a fire hydrant. They're sniffing out each other saying, who's the other dog here? Mm -hmm. When the new guys come in, the political guys are saying, Mm -hmm. these guys know a lot at the CIA, the FBI, the State Department, but they're not reliable. This is a reliability test. The political guy saying, I can't trust you. You better call me because I'm afraid you're going to take these texts and give them away to somebody. Mm -hmm. Very simple. And Amanda, I believe that it's been reported that these texts were on personal devices on the WhatsApp app, which is to keep stuff from individuals. This is clearly official communication. Yeah, obviously this is about official stuff. And uh, uh, Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff said today the State Department also has personal devices belonging to Sondland with more text and more emails they want to see. I recall them being offended when somebody else had like (laughs) a... What was her name? Yeah, had a system for avoiding for avoiding this kind of uh, a way that the government can easily get to something. Yeah, these secret servers and secret messaging apps are going to come back to bite you. But there is an interesting talking point I'm seeing gain a lot of steam in conservative circles and among Republicans who are really trying to rationalize this. They just come out and say, you know what, this is bad. All this is bad, the messages, the secret services, but it's not impeachable. Mm. We need an election to decide what's going on. And after the Mueller report, I thought that was a decent rationale. Let the election decide it. But the thing that you have here, you have the president and a lot of his men participating in election offenses. 
So how do you ensure that you're going to have a free and fair election in 2020 when the president has shown a willingness three times with Russia, Ukraine and China to cheat? This is what it goes down to. People keep talking about election interference, foreign interference. It's cheating to win an election. So Republicans, if you don't want to impeach him, what are you going to do to stop it? I don't know that answer. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Um, the two moves congressional Republicans just made on the Hill in an attempt to push back against the impeachment inquiry. Plus, the NBA now saying that they're not sorry for that tweet that could cost the league billions of dollars in China. Stay with us. And we're back with the politics lead as House Democrats grapple with how to respond to the new stonewalling from the White House. Republican lawmakers are pushing for a vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry. CNN's Sunland Zerfati is on Capitol Hill for a Sunland. Speaker Pelosi says she does not need a full House vote. Why are Republicans pushing this? Really, uh, Jake, for political and practical reasons. First, on the process, Republicans uh, believe that if they have a full House vote um, to authorize the impeachment inquiry, it potentially uh, could give them power that they don't have right now, at least more power than they have right now, potentially even giving them a chance to subpoena their own witnesses, subpoena their, their their own information that they want. Uh, And politically speaking, Republicans certainly here uh, see this as an opportunity essentially to delegitimize the Democrats-led impeachment inquiry to try to reframe the narrative essentially that, as we've heard them say over and over again, as we have heard out of the White House, uh, that the Democrats have not voted on the full floor to authorize the impeachment inquiry. And as you said, Speaker Pelosi, she has not ruled out a full House vote, but she doesn't believe that it's necessary. And at the same time, obviously, uh, Democrats control the House. Republicans control the Senate. And Senator Lindsey Graham there said as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he has invited Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, to testify. What will that accomplish? That's right. And this would essentially put Rudy Giuliani in front of a much, much friendlier audience over here in the Senate than he would be if he were to appear in front of the House. And um, even in making it in in that announcement today, uh, the fact that this committee is not only chaired by a top Republican here in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, but one of the fiercest defenders and friends of President Trump. And Graham, in making that announcement, acknowledged he said he wanted to hold a hearing on corruption and other improprieties in Ukraine and not even really saying anything about the format, no word if it would be an open session or not. So certainly much better set of circumstances potentially laid out for him, Senate side than House side. Giuliani today telling CNN that he's still a lawyer, will still have to deal with privilege, but he added, given the nature of Graham's invitation about my concerns, I might be able to do it without discussing privileged information. Jake. All right. Sunland Sarfati on Capitol Hill for us. Thanks so much. I want to bring in former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams, along with former FBI general counsel uh, Jim Baker. Thanks for much, uh, so much for being here. Uh, Elliot, let me start with you. I understand the political arguments for not holding a formal vote on the impeachment inquiry. Um, they don't want to give the Republicans more power, including subpoena power, the Democrats. Um, and cloud everything up. They don't uh, want they want to protect their vulnerable members. Those are political arguments. I don't hear a legal argument and I don't hear like a principle beyond wanting to control the process. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. There isn't a legal argument here. What they're trying to do is two things. Number one, make it about process, because, you know, if you're talking about process, you're not talking about the substance. And if you're talking about the process, you're not talking about the president's conduct. And number two, what they're trying to do is put vulnerable Democrats in the position of having to vote on whether they proceed with impeachment. These Democrats in Trump won districts. But no, there isn't a legal basis here. What happens is when an article of impeachment is 
introduced, the House of Representatives will vote on it. But you don't have to have a vote to decide you're going, moving forward with impeachment. That's silly. And, and Jim, let me ask you, as a law enforcement person, how would you tell, advise Democrats to proceed to make this as much about law uh, and, and standards of law and standards of behavior and not about all the political mess? Well, focus on what the law is that applies in this area. And the law that applies in this area is the Constitution directly. That's where the focus should be, not on statutes or the procedural rules and so on. And so to, to echo what Elliot was saying, the, the president and outsiders don't get to tell the House of Representatives how to deal with impeachment. That is, by the Constitution, reserved to them. They're the ones that decide the process. They decide the substance. They decide whether it, it, to go forward or not. And so we're talking directly about the, the law here is the Constitution of the United States, and the House gets to decide, not these extraneous bodies. And the minority can't force the majority what, to, to do what they don't want to do. Elliot, the top lawyer for the House Democrats, told a federal judge today that President Trump could be impeached for lying to the American public. That's not a crime, lying to the American public. It's a crime to lie to the FBI, but not to the American <laughs> public or to prosecutors, right. but not to, not to me. Uh, and the president would not have to, be, to commit a crime to be impeached. Uh, that sounds like they're kind of like outlining, outlining what the strategy in the House might be in court. Right. So ultimately, Congress has sort of said over, there's no real rules on what constitutes a high crime and misdemeanor, which are the words in the Constitution, what's impeachable. Typically, what Congress has found is, number one, if a president or a high official has abused power, number two, uh, engaged in behavior that's incompatible with the roles of the office, or three, acted for personal gain. Um, so certainly, um, acting in an obstructive manner would, would fall into that conduct. But there doesn't have to be a crime committed in the sense that, you know, he, he met the standard for obstruction of justice or something like that. If one of those three areas is met, absolutely, it's impeachable. And, and Jim, the, the House lawyer, the, Dem the Democrats lawyer said also that impeachment threads could also include, theoretically, findings from the Mueller investigation and the Mueller report and that Speaker Pelosi's on board with that. Do you think that's smart or, or would it be better just to keep it focused exclusively on this Ukraine story? Yeah, I, I, I so I think technically they could do it. And, and Doug Letter, who represented the, the House, is a, a superb lawyer. And so uh, they, they could do it. I'm just worried that that is going to drag them. It's going to delay things and have the, the focus lost. Right now, it seems like the American people, at least a significant number of them, are upset about the president's conduct with respect to Ukraine and his comment about China. And so I guess I would try to focus on that. When you're investigating or prosecuting any type of case, you don't want to load up, for example, your indictment with a bunch of extraneous stuff if you think it's going to distract the jury or open the door to the defendant making sort of a circus in front of the, in front of the jury. So a tight, focused uh, uh, Proceeding is probably in their best interest. All right, Jim, Elliot, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, breaking news on President Trump's call with Ukraine. The New York Times is reporting on one White House official's concerning description of that call, what that official told the whistleblower. That's next. Breaking news. The New York Times is reporting that a White House official who was listening to that Trump-Ukraine call in July described the conversation as crazy and frightening. Those words in quotes, crazy and frightening. The official was, quote, visibly shaken by what had happened, according to a memo written by the whistleblower, the Times reports. 
Uh, let's uh, chat about this. Is this the kind of thing that normally would be in a whistleblower report that other people reacted saying that they were shocked and frightened? Boy, if I'm in the whistleblower team, I am really careful about this. If you read the initial report as a former CIA guy, very well written, factual, sort of unemotional. This adds emotion and judgment. I want that out of there. This is what happened. This is what the president said. I view I would view this from the whistleblower perspective as a problem. That said, there's one angle on this that's critical. You have one whistleblower report out there. Republicans say it's secondhand. What this tells you is there's lots of people on the inside saying they're saying the secondhand. I had the same response that this person said. These kind of people, I think, are going to come out of the woodwork. People who, who didn't like what happened. Here's what's important, though, about inspector general reports. They go throughout a department or throughout the agency and they take this type of anecdotal evidence and, and use it as a cultural statement about how things are going on. So I think it's important to recognize that this, these are statements that acknowledge there is a deep, deep problem with how Donald Trump and this administration are conducting the business of the country. And, and we should just know, I just want to just note that yeah. this is not according to the whistleblower's actual yes. complaint. Yes. This is according to yeah. a memo that the whistleblower right. uh, provided. So it ultimately, I was just going to say the oh, same sorry. thing, that this was not actually in the whistleblower report, probably for the reason that you outlined. But it does suggest... Uh, according to the reporting, that very shortly after this call between President Trump uh, and President Zelensky, the whistleblower memorialized what people were telling him about the call. And the, ultimately, the concern that President Trump has really actually focused on is who inside the White House was so concerned about the call that they told the whistleblower about it. I, I think that's a critical piece here. There are people who are probably currently serving in Trump's White House who are the sources for this information. And that is what uh, that's what's problematic for the president. And it's, it's potentially yet another avenue uh, for the Democrats as they're pursuing this impeachment. But here's what I think is problematic. And I and I really struggle with this. We're talking about the possible impeachment of a sitting President, removing him from office largely based on someone that we don't know who it is. I right. think everything is credible. I think it's backed up. I think it's documented. He was meticulous. But I think if we are seriously talking about ripping someone who was elected out of office, we ultimately need to know who that person is. And that's unfair. It's hard. He or she is going to get smeared. But it's it's a difficult thing to keep basing everything on this when this person hasn't come out in light and given testimony yet. Oh. Not yet. Not yet. Mm -hmm. It's early yet. Yeah. But I do want to point to the fact that there's a new Washington Post poll uh, out today that finds that 58 percent of the uh, of adults polled say they support the decision to start an impeachment inquiry. Fifty eight percent say should have. Congress should have begun the impeachment inquiry. Thirty eight percent say should not have. That's a, that's a lot of support for beginning the impeachment inquiry. Well, and that certainly shows that the American public is starting to make a distinction between the Mueller report and what happened in the, the relitigation of 2016, which does leave a distaste in many people's mouth, and the acknowledgement that, wait a second, this president in office shortly after Mueller testified, was doing exactly the same thing that the report outlined. And so this is happening in real time, and it comes at this time when people are already sick of dirty politics, feeling that they're under attack and things are divisive. So to see a president in the United States who should be leading in, in Syria, foreign affairs, all these other spaces, leading on the economy, really tweeting all day about yeah. whether or not somebody should testify, this is not the type of leadership any American wants. And Phil, um, independence, I go to you because you, I think of you as an independent, independence uh, support for beginning the probe, not necessarily for impeaching, yeah. but beginning the inquiry, has gone up 20 points since July. It's 57 percent now uh, against 38 percent. But that number, the Post notes, uh, goes, has gone up 20 points since July from 
37 percent. Now it's 57. Yeah, but I'm a little bit skeptical on the independent side, and that is because I still don't think the American people fully understand what they're asking for. I don't think they still understand the difference between the House and the Senate process. I think they still don't fully understand what Mitch McConnell is saying. They think this is a simple process where the House goes and investigates and votes, and then something happens with the president. I think that word impeachment is loaded, and I think if you look at it through that lens, the polling data looks a lot different. I don't think the American people know what they're asking for. And that's why I actually agree with the Republicans, although I think it will backfire on them, and that Speaker Pelosi should hold a vote to uh, go forward in the inquiry so that they define what this is about. Because right now it just does look like endless investigations, endless fighting. But if they have a vote and it's written on paper so people can evaluate the problem they're looking into, that would be helpful for everyone. And Abby, let me point out to the fact that there's a new Quinnipiac poll out today. Now, this is a different question. Asked if uh, President Trump should be impeached and removed from office, not just the inquiry, but actually impeached and removed for office. 45 percent of the American people say yes. Forty nine percent say no. So there isn't this zest to get him out of office right now, even if people do want the inquiry to begin. Yeah, I mean, it does suggest that people do understand that the removal part of this is actually a step further and that they're not quite ready to go there yet. I wish some of these polls would ask both questions separately (laughs) so that we can have a sense of whether people want the inquiry and removal or just the inquiry and not removal. But, you know, we'll take it up with the pollsters later. I just think (laughs) it's it's important for us to note that while all of these numbers are kind of a little bit noisy between the polls, the polls do suggests that people are uncomfortable with the behavior that they know about that has been outlined. That's also another source of problems. When people hear about what's going on, they don't like it and they think that the president is potentially abusing power. I think that's the that's more of what we should be paying attention to as we go forward. It's about the quest for feel. accountability and wanting some check on the administration. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about President Trump on the defensive after his biggest supporters ripped into his decision to withdraw troops from Syria. We're going to go live to the Middle East next day with us. Some breaking news for you in our world lead right now. Staffers on Capitol Hill are being briefed on the current situation in northeast Syria. Both political parties, including loyal allies to President Trump and the Republican Party, have excoriated his decision to withdraw U.S. troops there, given that the Kurds who live there have been stalwart allies of the U.S. And there are credible fears that without the U.S. there, Turkey might massacre them. CNN chief international correspondent Clarissa Ward joins me now live from northern Iraq. And Clarissa, signs today that a Turkish strike against the Kurds could theoretically be imminent. That's right, Jake. I mean, essentially, it could happen any moment now. No real clarity on the timing. The Turks simply saying that everything is in place for that to begin. They're calling it Operation Peace Spring. And make no mistake, this is going to be a major operation, Jake. You're talking about 300 miles of border area. They want to cut a swath 30 miles deep and cover that entire area. So this is not going to be something that happens overnight. We have heard reports of uh, military personnel, howitzers, various other military machinery uh, massing in some areas along the Turkish-Syrian border. But the question now is, when will that effort begin underway? It appears the Turks are not paying any attention to President Donald Trump, who did something of a sort of peddling back by saying, listen, if you hit the Kurds too hard, your economy will pay a very dear price for it. The Turks responding by saying, we will not bow down to any threats. They seem very determined to go ahead with this, Jake. And Clarissa, President Trump tried to defend his decision today, but it doesn't seem like even his closest allies are convinced that this is the right move. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Jake. It doesn't matter who you talk to, whether it's uh, his allies in the Republican Party, as you say, who see this as essentially handing a victory to Russia, to the regime of Bashar al-Assad, to Iran, uh, or even European allies who are very, very concerned about the real possibility that this could create a vacuum, that all those Syrian Kurdish forces who are currently guarding thousands and thousands of violent ISIS fighters in prisons under their, uh, under their purview could potentially be now forced to go onto the front lines to fight against a Turkish invasion, leaving those prisons with the doors open. Kurds are very worried as well, of course, that they will simply be hung out to dry by their strongest ally, the U.S. Jake? Clarissa Ward, live for us in Erbil, Iraq. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Airball, the NBA commissioner, seems to have listened to all the backlash in his league's free speech face-off with China. That story next. Olympics, my... Some more breaking news for you now. CNN is learning that at any moment, President Trump's lawyers will tell House Democrats in a letter that President Trump and the Trump administration will not cooperate in the impeachment inquiry, arguing that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is holding an illegitimate impeachment process. CNN's Pamela Brown joins me now uh, live. Pamela, what, what can you tell us about this letter? Well, Jake, a source familiar with the matter says the White House is expected to release this letter to congressional Democrats later today. And we're told it's a blistering letter, Jake, uh, where the White House will make the argument uh, that President Trump and his administration have no choice but not to cooperate with the Democrats' ongoing impeachment inquiry. Uh, the White House making this argument that the uh, inquiry is illegitimate and is an effort to overturn the 2016 election results. And it also uh, will make the case that it circumvents, by not having this vote, it circumvents President Trump's due process rights, and it will point out irregularities in the Democrats' investigation. I'm told it will also take direct aim at Adam Schiff, uh, when Schiff had said he hadn't had contact with the whistleblower, but then we had later learned that the committee, his committee, did have some sort of contact, and then also uh, Schiff's reading of the transcript. Those will be a couple of the items uh, in this letter that will be going to the Hill momentarily. But we should point out, Jake, uh, that I'm told the White House doesn't go so far as to corner itself in terms of saying, if you hold the vote, then we will give you everything you're looking for and will cooperate. Go ahead, Jake. All right, Pamela Brown, thank you so much uh, with the latest. Uh, and Abby, Philip, we should point out that the Constitution does not actually have rules for how somebody's going to be impeached. And the last time this was done during the, Clinton, uh, the Bill Clinton impeachment, um, I mean, the House of Representatives isn't even necessarily set up the same way. Uh, the committees might be different. Yeah. So, I mean, they can claim this, but it's not based on the Constitution. Exactly. And I think most uh, impeachment experts agree that there's actually no requirement for an impeachment vote. And so uh, I think it really kind of calls into question whether this is really a legal document or really more of a political document. It sounds like, from Pam's reporting, they're going to be rehashing some of the the arguments we've been hearing from President Trump about Adam Schiff claiming, and I think we should say falsely, that there was something irregular about uh, a committee staffer directing the whistleblower to go through a formal process. That's actually pretty much by the book how it's supposed to be done. But they're going to be raising that as part of the argument against 
against this. And I think uh, this is this is another part of the political pushback. I just don't know how much legal weight it has in stopping Nancy Pelosi. I think an impeachment vote would be a clarifying exercise. But make no mistake, this is about the White House trying to gain control over a process they have no control of. They believe once there's a vote held, Republicans will get subpoena power. And so for every legitimate witness that the Democrats bring, like a Bill Taylor, expect to bring in a Rudy Giuliani to blow it up. This is exactly like after the Mueller report, before anybody even got to see it, Bill Barr released a messaging document saying, this is what this is all about and how it should be. Ultimately, this is going to be uh, oversight by the bodies of Congress that already have a legal authority to conduct oversight. They don't need a vote to do that. All right. Thanks one and all for being here. Coming up, the NBA backtracking and now saying that they actually are not sorry for that tweet that caused controversy in China. Stay with us. Our sports lead now, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, is today saying that the NBA is no longer apologizing after the Houston Rockets general manager tweeted support of a pro-democracy protest in Hong Kong. The NBA initially apologized to China, and then they were assailed by lawmakers from both major parties for focusing on the billions to be made in the Chinese market instead of standing up for American and democratic values. China's Sports Channel now says it will not broadcast any of the NBA games being held in China this week. Let's bring in the Atlantic's Jamel Hill, who just published an op-ed arguing, uh, quote, the problem for the NBA is that this isn't just a free speech issue. This is a test to see whether the NBA has a stomach to fight for certain values when doing so compromises business, unquote. Jamel, an honor to have you here. Thanks so much. How do you think the NBA and Silver are, are handling this test? Well, I think they're handling it very delicately. And I think the original way that they sort of came out of this thing with that statement where they referred to uh, Houston general manager Daryl Morey's tweet as regrettable, it really raised a lot of eyebrows. I mean, here's a league that in large part is considered to be among the more progressive, if not the most progressive of all the major pro sports leagues. And for them to seemingly back away and distance itself from one of its employees when it's kind of built that reputation, it was very eye-opening to a lot of people. And it looked as if the NBA was just content uh, to kind of kneel to China so as not to affect business and forgetting and they forgot about the fact that, you know, they have players and coaches and other league personnel that they've allowed to be vocal on a number of political topics. So it would be very hypocritical for the NBA to all of a sudden abandon those principles. Sally Jenkins of The Washington Post wrote, quote, it's more than a little ludicrous for everyone from Ted Cruz to better work to suddenly hand the NBA and the Rockets the tab for American toadying to authoritarians in Beijing. Jenkins then goes on to list companies like KFC, General Electric, Walmart, and on and on, all of whom uh, have big business in China. What do you think about that argument? Is it hypocritical for people to go after the NBA and let turn a blind eye to other companies going after those Chinese dollars? I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I mean, Sally is definitely right that there's a lot of American businesses that do business in China and they sort of hold their nose as they write and receive checks. The difference is how many of them have the social responsibility brand that the NBA does. Keep in mind, Jake, that this is the same league who delayed having the All-Star game in Charlotte because of the controversial bathroom bill. This is the same league that basically, as Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, many of their players have been outright critical of the president of the United States and their entire response has been, hey, let these guys say what they politically uh, believe. This is the same league where Commissioner Adam Silver uh, was dancing at the gay pride parade on a float in New York City. So they have made being socially responsible a part of their brand. And that's why there's a different expectation for them. So you you mentioned Steve Kerr. 
Uh, he's the normally outspoken head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Take a listen to him. He was he was asked uh, about this controversy, and uh, it was a reaction that I've never ever heard from Steve Kerr. Take a listen. It's a really bizarre international story, and uh, a lot of us are, you know, don't know what to make of it. But I'm not going to comment further. A bizarre international story. A lot of us don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to comment any further. Did that surprise you? He's so reticent there. Yeah, I was stunned. But I think that speaks to the depth of the relationship between China and and the U.S. uh, basketball forces, if you will. Keep in mind that you have players that are regularly making pilgrimages to China in order to sell their products, in order to be more marketable. Uh, In the NBA, I mean, they recently signed a $1.5 billion uh, contract extension with the largest uh, digital media giant in China. There's a lot of money to be made here. And if we look at Daryl Morey's original tweet, which was an image and a caption that basically was pro-democracy, what we're supposed to be about in this country, it was really benign. And so if you're Steve Kerr, if you're anybody else being asked to comment on this, if you saw how a tweet that was deleted rather quickly can cause this kind of incident. I'm not surprised there was a no comment. It's just surprising considering this is the league where everybody has worn this outspoken label as long as it draws them praise. But the moment it conflicts with business, then everybody wants to get silent. And uh, very quickly, if you could, uh, LeBron James is in China right now. Uh, We only have a few seconds, but do you think he should keep his mouth shut on this or what do you think? Uh, Well, I I would be surprised if LeBron said anything, because, again, they're looking at what happened as a result of this Daryl Morey tweet. If you're LeBron James and you also are an um, uh, empire unto yourself, yourself, I would not be surprised if he were quiet. Now, what does that mean for somebody who has this entire campaign called Mm -hmm. more than an athlete? I don't know. All right, Jamel Hill. Great having you on. Thank you so much. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.